hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Oh, you're so sensitive. A statement that many of us have heard in our lives. But what if you could tap into what you're really sensitive to to become more successful? You're listening to episode 256 of the Queer Money Podcast. And today we're talking about how knowing more about yourself, what makes you tick, move, respond, can lead to understanding and empowering your personal brand and your business if you're an entrepreneur. Our guest, Mike Iamelli, has created a system to help folks tap into their real sensitivities. Mike's going to share with us how to use your trauma, pain, success, and joy to figure out who you are and create a prescription for reoccurring success. Remember, if you have money questions or suggestions for show topics, ask in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we'll follow up with answers or a show to cover your question. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. Join our movement to build a community of happier, healthier, and wealthier gay men by getting your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. Welcome, Michael Iamelli. We're excited to have you on the Queer Money Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for reaching out. So we're going to talk about your life's purpose and how you, um, what you call, you identify your sensitivities and tie them to your life's purpose. Before we dive into this discussion, how do we define our life's purpose and why is discovering our life's purpose so hard? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm still trying to figure it out. Right? <laughs> for sure. You know, I think part of it's the way that we talk about purpose. So you know, for a lot of people, they'll say things that are aspirational and achievable. Like my purpose is to be a life coach. My purpose is to write a book. My purpose is to get married. And that's all awesome. But here's the thing. If you can achieve it, that means you can fail it. And that doesn't really make sense. Like how could you fail your purpose? And so a lot of times that's really limiting because people are looking for something that they can achieve and that's in a box. And the other thing is if I can achieve it, that implies I didn't have it at a certain point. So did I just not have a purpose as a baby? That doesn't make sense either. And if we're only talking about something that's achievable, it's not really explaining our relationships or our trauma or, you know, different moments of our life. And so I think just from the get go, one reason that we have so much trouble with it is just the way we talk about it. We talk about it like I'm on my purpose or I'm off my purpose. It's kind of this thing I can get and I can achieve rather than what I like to talk about which is sensitivities that, you know, since the moment of birth, we've had sensitivities, even before we could talk, we've had sensitivities. And some people are sensitive to, let's say music. And if you're sensitive to music, you can probably hear notes that I can't hear. If you're sensitive to freedom, you're probably going to feel trapped way easier than I am. But you're also going to be looking for opportunities to free yourself and free others. You're really sensitive to that thing. And that word sensitivity, it just means able to sense more. I can see, taste, touch, smell, hear more about that thing. So if I'm sensitive, you know, everything from the way that I have sex to the way that I spend money to the way that I work best, to the way I give a podcast interview, 
all of that's going to be related to what I'm most sensitive to. And my whole life is kind of on this continuum of light or shadow or kind of challenges with this or kind of positivity with it. And so it just starts to bring up moments of like, oh, that's why that job felt good and why I was successful because it matched. It was a good container for these senses. But that one over there, I can see why it wasn't a good fit. And we can go through so many examples today where it becomes really, really obvious when you know who you are and more importantly, who you aren't, it starts making life easier. You can make decisions easier because you already know what you want to feel and who you really are. Got you. So are sensitivities innate or are they nature or nurture? So it's a great question. I mean, both, right? Like obviously it's innate, but because it's our lens through which we see the world, then it becomes kind of cultivated over time. So the way that we, if I have a situation, like any trauma I've ever had, I can tell you, I feel trapped in that trauma. I feel misaligned. I feel like a failure. It's always going to be, you know, the shadow form or the opposite of my sensitivities. And if that's true, that means I have a whole life of lived experiences that kind of build this narrative or this story around these things. And so it's definitely my understanding of it has been cultivated or nurtured over life. But these are innate things I've had since I was born. Like without even speaking a word, I feel, you know, certain proclivities and certain things that I'm kind of staring away from. Interesting. This is very serendipitous that we're having this talk right now because we're preparing for a Queer Money follow-up that we're doing on YouTube from episode 28 of the Queer Money podcast. And we're talking exactly about money stories and your narrative of, uh, of what you've you built up over time around money and how that affects your life. So is your sensitivity separate and distinct from your life's purpose or are they, do they work in tandem together? Yeah, they're, so they're the same thing. So, I mean, we can go through a little workshop, a little exercise here if we want to play, but basically here's how it works. You know, so many of us live life like we are shooting darts in the dark. And so we're trying to hit that bullseye. We're trying really hard. We're in the dark. And honestly, once in a while, we have a miracle. We hit that bullseye. But even if we do, we have no idea what we did or how to repeat it. And so what we're doing when we're mapping sensitivities is basically looking at every moment of your life, every time you've ever hit the bullseye, and we're flipping on the light switch. We're understanding which levers you naturally pull in every moment of success and fulfillment in your life. And every human has success and fulfillment somewhere. You might have had a successful project at work or a successful job or a successful relationship or friendship or one moment of your life you've had success and fulfillment. And what you've done there what you naturally do in those moments, we can begin to understand and say, oh, I get it. Like I want every moment of my life to feel like I'm just having coffee with a best friend and hours are flying by and genius is spilling out of me. And then we have those other moments, right? Those really like awkward moments. Like, am I saying the right thing? Am I doing the right thing? Why am I trying to be so technical? If we're ever trying to be technical, we are not tapped into who we are. We have no idea of the essence because One thing I like to say is you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. And, you know, I don't really want to live a life where I have to try and struggle and strive like everything from business to relationships to even like we talked about the way we spend money. You know, one of my favorite practices, I do this all the time with money, is if I want to buy something, I say, okay, and I give myself three days to identify which of my sensitivities I most want to get from that purchase, like what it wants to make me feel, and to find a better, cheaper way to feel that. And if at the end of those three days I can't, then I buy the thing. But I can't tell you how many times, easily 90% of the time, 
I'm able to feel what I'm trying to feel from that purchase way easier and way cheaper. And this happens all the time to me. Yeah, it, it, that makes sense with, I think, with what John and I had as life experiences and what we see a lot of, especially gay men who we have coached or talked with and in the community in, in general, this idea of wanting to feel something like validation or mm -hmm. love or a part of the community but oftentimes we use other things to get that, right? We yeah. we buy our friends by paying for rounds of shots or mm -hmm. we get our friend group because we have this fabulous attire, right? We feel like we use these things as ways to attract people, but that's not who we really are on the inside. Absolutely. And what we're going to find is that if we map your life, like no moment of your lived experience is wasted. Even those moments you would swear to me, Mike, I'm all over the place. I am off my purpose. I don't make sense. I can promise you, if you map all those experiences, we will see the same patterns over and over again, the exact same themes. Now, you know, that's as close to a life purpose as I'm going to be able to understand. Because if I know what I truly want to feel in any moment, then now I have a reliable, predictable formula for success and fulfillment that works across my entire life. I know that what I give to the world most is also what I most want to seek because I am sensitive to that thing, right? So I'm going to see more there. I'm going to hold more trauma around it. I'm also going to be a greater expert about it because I split hairs. My entire lived experience has been built around these things. And when I know that, it answers every question. Like right now, and I'll just give you my sensitivities, my words are aligned, zany, free, unmistakable, successful, and vulnerable. And let's say right now you ask me a question that I don't know the answer to. Let's say you ask me a question like, you know, Mike, with COVID and everything, why is this work important and how does it affect money? And I think, oh gosh, that's a tough question. I think, all right, Mike, all I have to do is be vulnerable and aligned and zany. And so I might answer it something like this. Well, you know, I'm going to be pretty vulnerable right here. I don't know. The future is changing and I don't know. But what I can tell you with certainty and my whole lived experience backs this up is that when we align with who we truly are, it frees us to be more successful and not just successful financially, but successful in every way, you know, really aligning with our vulnerabilities, our zaniness, the things that make us unmistakably us, right? The things that are truly, truly unique about us. That's what's going to free us to be successful so that I can have this interview and not even try and just be myself. Just like I can hang out with friends and, you know, it's unconditional love. I don't have to try to get their approval. And with the way I spend money, I can start saying, what values do I actually have? What's most important with me? And when I know that, I'm conscious of the way I spend money. Now, what I just did was I just took my six words, threw a few ands and buts in there. And no matter what, that will give me my best answer. Because what I'm doing is just being myself. It's a formula to be ourselves. Right. It makes perfect sense because we see this happen over and over and over again where someone gets a level of success, right? Whether that's in a relationship or financial success or fame, right? And then we see all these people who then get in line and they follow when they go down the exact same path. Well, he did mm -hmm. this, I'm going to do this. He did this, I'm going to do it too. He did that, yes. I'm going to do it too. And then it doesn't work out for them because they're not sticking to their true selves as you they're not tapping into their own sensitivities and even if it does work out for you you're unlikely to be fulfilled and so we see this all the time too right people get x amount of money or get you know whatever they thought that they wanted out of life that what they could quote unquote achieve and yet they don't feel purposeful and how does that make sense we're saying that this is your life purpose but you don't <laughs> feel purposeful in it that right. doesn't make sense and so 
the challenge with talking about life purpose is it's subjective, right? What makes me feel purposeful? No one else in the world can tell me that. So it only makes sense that my senses, my sensitivities, my emotions are going to be the driving factors. And if I know that, then I know the commonality between my marriage and my business and all the successful moments of my life. I can actually say, oh, wait a minute. I get it. I get that when I'm really free and I'm naturally helping people align with themselves and I'm being really vulnerable with my stories, I get that I'm always feeling fulfilled and successful there. So now I can put that into my website, put that into my copy, in my interviews, in the way I talk to my husband. If ever my husband and I are in a fight, doesn't happen often, knock on wood, but if it ever <laughs> happens, I say, all right, Mike, do I need to be more vulnerable here? Do I need to be you know, more playful about this situation? Like what's being asked of me? And it's really simple because now I have language to ask for exactly what I need in that situation. So how do you put your sensitivity in your coffee? <laughs> so how do kidding. I put it in my coffee? Yeah, right. Well, you know, I think that, that you know, it's basically starting with this idea of like, okay, let's, I'm, I actually don't drink coffee, but let's say that, you know, like, first of all, I want coffee or coffee time that is going to be really zany. So maybe right. my coffee and freeing. So maybe I schedule myself 30 minutes every day to drink my coffee and I have a little dance party with myself and I journal while I'm doing it to be really vulnerable. Like what we're doing is just building aspects of our lives that feel like us. And I want to give you an example because I think this is an interesting one, especially I know a lot of gay men, there's this challenge with body dysmorphia or not necessarily feeling super attractive. And that was certainly my experience. So I didn't feel like I was super attractive at a point. I didn't feel I had an empowered relationship with my body. And I thought, well, come on, Mike, you do this work. What would make me feel vulnerable and zany and free with my body? Well, duh, dancing naked in front of the mirror. <laughs> and so every day for a year, I kid you not, I did not miss a day. Every day for a year, as the water was heating up for two minutes, I danced naked in front of that mirror, you know, vulnerably and zanily, freely dancing, looking at my body, especially on days when I didn't feel attractive. And I just looked at my body. Now, at the end of that year, you know, stupid me, I didn't even realize this was a connection. I scheduled a boudoir session. Didn't even realize that they were related. And I got, this is the first time I'd ever had a boudoir session of photos taken of me. And I thought these photos were just going to be for me, maybe my husband, like really private. Oh my God, I got those photos. My mom's seen them. I'm posting them on the internet. I don't give a shit who's looking at these photos because I felt so goddamn sexy. And since then, I don't think that there's a room I walk into where I don't feel confident about my body because I know my sensitivities. I know how I need to work through that very issue. And so now I have a formula for how to do so. How are most people going through life if they don't understand what their sensitivity is? Where are they getting their, their drive and motivation? Yeah. So honestly, uh, we're kind of stumbling around in the dark. Like I said before, I mean, intuitively, we know some of these things. So intuitively, we might think like, oh, when I have deep talks with a person, I feel good. Or, you know, oh, when I hug someone, you know, physical intimacy is really important to me. So we have some of the intuition, but we're very bad at translating it across contexts. So we might say in my relationship, I know my formula for success, but translating that over into business is really hard because the context is different and it's going to look a lot different or using it with the way I spend money. That doesn't seem related to my relationship. So it seems confusing. But when we can drill it down to an emotional layer or a sensitivity layer, we start to see those patterns. I can guarantee you people listening or some people listening at least are saying, I'm all over the place, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your life makes sense. Your narrative makes sense. But I've had such disparate experiences. First of all, I think I'm probably the most all over the place. I, I've got plenty of stories to share here. But 
the truth is every human has said that. I've worked with hundreds, maybe thousands of people, and every single human I've ever worked with thinks they're all over the place because we're not good at translating across contexts because seeing that underlying thread is really difficult. On the surface, it doesn't look the same, but I realize, oh my gosh, vulnerability is a theme for me. Oh my gosh, freedom is a theme for me. Like the second I feel remotely trapped, my creativity shuts down, I feel pressured, like everything shuts down and now I'm not effective in any area of my life. And so we do this, obviously, intuitively, people are picking up on this, but we don't have a way to keep replicating it and checking back. And anytime something goes wrong, saying, oh, wait a minute, why is that going wrong? What's wrong here? And pinpointing exactly what it is. Interesting. So I agree. that's a great lead to my next question then is, can you explain or maybe even provide an example of how a sensitivity that informs my personal professional life may also be informing how I interact with money and also how I interact or pursue sex? For sure. Yeah. All of the above. Yeah. So for me, you know, let's look at one of my words, vulnerable. So, you know, vulnerable is a word that I bring to a lot of situations. It's also a word that that's what I want to feel and what I most give. So if I think about my business, well, my quote unquote coming out story was shared by a hundred thousand people in one day. I have told, you know, a lot, I've talked about shitting my pants at work. I am always, you know, in any situation, that's why in a one-on-one session, I'm so good at getting a person, even celebrities, influencers, it doesn't matter. A person I start working with within five minutes to tell me the deepest things because that's a gift of mine. And it's also a thing I share. In sex, I create space for incredible vulnerability. My husband knows that nothing that is said during sex can ever be judged. We can have a conversation after the fact, but sometimes things need to be said just to be said. And it has nothing to do with anything. And that's totally fine. When it comes to the way I spend money, you know, all the time, like I spend money to create depth and vulnerability and intimacy in relationships. Giving gifts is my favorite way. Like I will buy the most personalized things. I love being on Cameo and having people, like if someone loves a celebrity, hiring them to say something super honest and vulnerable and true to this person. If you want to know my favorite way to spend money, it's usually going to be like, oh, or supporting someone I think is vulnerable. So for my 30th birthday, my husband, which was amazing because this was five days after we got home from our wedding in Aruba, but he knew, even though probably struggling financially to pay for this, he knew that I was worried a restaurant was going to go out of business. And so he rented out that restaurant for the night for my birthday. And that I'm still talking about now, years and years later, because that was one of the most meaningful things that ever happened. Because I know that when I feel like somebody else is vulnerable and like I can support them, that's the best use of my money I can think of. Compacting everything you've said and the people that you work with, do you see common sensitivities or a lack of understanding of our sensitivities among gay men? Yeah, sometimes, you know, I think that I'll see things like supported or understanding will come up quite a bit. And these are things that, you know, gay men can be sensitive to. I'd say what I honestly see more of is industry specific. So when I'm working with comedians or actors, I'll see words that have a lot more to do with being seen or entertaining or performing will come up and be themes of their life that they haven't felt seen in their lives or they haven't felt, you know, like with, I guess, a word that comes up a lot with gay men other than understanding is validated. So that word will come up a lot, worthy, loved. But these words, they're specific to the gay community, but they also come up with other clients as well. So there are definitely some themes, but you know, to be fair, like all humans are complex. And so being gay is one part of the lived experience. And of course, it's an important part, but you know, we'll see a lot of things will come up. So for some people, like 
you know, people always assume that all words are similar. Like, yeah, everybody wants to be courageous or humble. And that's really the difference between this work and value-based work. So a lot of times values are very conditioned. Who doesn't value humility and courage? But does your lived experience prove that that's really the most important thing to you? And so, you know, a lot of times I'll have people who, let's say, I'm trying to think of two gay men, just to give you an example. One had a word like understanding, but then all of his other words were motivated, inspired, like, you know, excited, like they were these very intense, pragmatic. They were very intense and straightforward words. Another one had words like beautiful, radiant, magnetic, magical. And so these are two people that have very different experiences, even though they had similar words of understanding or validation. And what's cool is I can predict so many things about people based on knowing their words. So just looking at them say, well, I'm going to guess that you had some struggles with depression, looking at a word like happy or excited. I'm going to guess that, you know, like people all the time will tell me I have no follow through. If anyone ever says to me they have no follow through, I'm going to expect some version of committed to be on their final list. Because I know that that person has deep commitment to what they're passionate about and struggles to commit to anything else. Interesting. So what transformation can we expect when we identify and map our sensitivities to our authentic selves? I mean, ideally, everything just feels like we're just hanging out and having coffee with a friend. You know, I think that I, I like to say, you know, you never have to try to be yourself. If you're trying, it means you're being somebody else. So, uh, you know, I want a life that's effortless. Doesn't necessarily mean that I'm not going to have challenges, but even those challenges feel like growing more into me. You know, when I'm spending money, doesn't mean that I'm going to have the most beautiful money, you know, experience in the world, but it means that sometimes I have to spend money on things I don't necessarily feel like would be the ideal for me. You know, we have to pay for, you know, business licenses and taxes and all these things. But what starts to happen is I say, like, okay. A, I get what this is giving me in the long run, and B, I'm really conscious with my spending. You know, I've realized when it comes to money, I spend a lot less money than I used to think I needed to. And the real reason being is that I have a lot of tools to get what I want to feel. I'm very conscious on how I spend money because everything I own should give me strong one of those six strong emotions. If it doesn't, it was a wasted, empty purchase for me. And so it's just feeling more empowered, feeling conscious, feeling like, I'm not stumbling around anymore. I can actually make decisions based on what I actually know about myself and want to feel in the world. How does your bank support the LGBT community? Not at all? For Pride in June? Or 365 days a year? Capital One proudly supports the LGBT community throughout the year. Maybe it's time to support a bank that supports us. Go to debtfreeguys.com forward slash cafe for more info. So... When when we hear people like I think both Oprah and, and Lisa Nichols have talked about this whole idea of when you are truly pursuing what it is you're supposed to be pursuing, it's all downstream. You're not trying to, to paddle upstream. Does that kind of mean that whatever it is that we're working at, and it feels like it is downstream, and we are having that success that we are aligning with our sensitivities and then the opposite is also true? Yeah, I mean, most likely. If if something feels like an uphill battle and is such a struggle, then chances are it doesn't come naturally to us. And even if it does somehow come a little bit naturally, we won't have long-term energy to sustain it because it's actually us trying to be someone else continuously. And that's really, really hard and exhausting. 
And it probably feeds into a lot of self-worth challenges because we're basically saying I have to be somebody else to be successful or fulfilled. We're kind of subconsciously telling ourselves that. But when something feels really effortless, and like I always use that example of having coffee with a friend because I think that's resonant. A lot of us know that we get that experience of just like, oh yeah, I don't really think, I don't try, I'm not trying to impress this person or prove my worth. I'm just showing up and being myself. And that's enough. That's not just enough. That's the greatest gift I can give the world because that's the only gift no one can get from anywhere else. You know, there are a lot of people who are talking about, you know, purpose, but nobody in the world can talk about it the way I can with like the weirdness and zaniness and stories and all the stuff that I bring to the table because that's me. And that's true of you. And that's true of everybody in the world. So I think it's just really leaning into like, what comes naturally to me? What levers do I naturally pull in every moment of success? And how do I build a life that just feels like me? So I want to make sure that we kind of clarify something that this doesn't necessarily mean that the path that you're going to have to success is going to be quote unquote, easy. Oh, that, for that sure. There no. isn't effort that's needed, but that the effort will feel like it's in I hate to say it this way, but the effort will feel effortless. That's kind of kind of yeah. oxymoron, but it just feels the work that you put in will feel like the right work you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I'm not saying that we're not going to doubt ourselves or we're not going to struggle. I mean, this is a real life. And the truth is, if most purpose work does only talk about kind of the positive or the achievable side, where do we think we need purpose more in our successes or in our traumas? Obviously in our traumas. So much of what we're talking about here is going to be looking back at our traumas and understanding why we felt that way and validating ourselves. But so, of course, we're going to have challenges. We're going to question ourselves. We're going to every step of the way, you know, have struggles. But it's not necessarily those struggles are making us more of ourselves. It's kind of like, you know, I know here talking about gay podcasts, talking about coming out. I'm not saying that that's easy for anybody in the world, but somewhere in that process, we feel like this struggle is worth it because we're becoming more of ourselves. Now it's hard and it's scary and it may not be a pleasant experience and it may not lead to every, you know, ideal scenario that we wanted, but it's still bringing us to a more quote unquote effortless or natural way of being. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. Interesting. So I'm curious, do you find in the work that you do, if you sort of feel like you're fighting an uphill battle because you're simultaneously competing against the Instagram lifestyle and then the constant barragement of advertising telling you this is what's going to make you happy by I mean, this I stuff. Think, yeah, I think we're all fighting up against that battle. And I think, you know, for me, this has been so helpful. But I think what's interesting is, you know, I actually do a lot of work with Instagram influencers. So it's kind of ironic and funny because a lot of these people are really wanting to find a unique voice or finding what's there. I mean, every human being is wanting to do that, right? And when we don't know and we get confused, we're just going to what's kind of appealing and what's selling. But I can tell you with certainty, having worked with a lot of people in my life, if someone's not sharing what they uniquely offer the world, they're not feeling satisfied, no matter how much money they make or how many people they're influencing. And so I think that for me, it's really just about tuning into like every human wants this. So, you know, we all have pressures from not just Instagram, but our parents and society and all these places, you know, how many people will tell me, you know, I've been told I'm too much my whole life, too emotional or too sensitive or too intense or too passionate, anything that's too much or not enough. Awesome. What that means is you're really sensitive to that thing. And a lot of other people aren't, so they can't handle it. Like you're 
too big for their little boxes. So that's your differentiator. That's something that you can lean into. And when you understand it, you can say, you know what? That relationship isn't good for me, actually, because that person couldn't handle who I truly am. Yeah, I love that. I think of you're too big for their little boxes. It does make me think oftentimes of the criticism that a lot of gay men get that they are not, quote unquote, men, right? Because they Mm -hmm. are very feminine. Or on the opposite end of the spectrum, you may have within the gay community, you have some men who are very masculine, and they are criticized by the other end of the spectrum of gay men, uh, which is a whole discussion in and of itself. But we often find that people try to put us in boxes based on these binary systems that the world has, right? And if we force ourselves into these boxes, then we're not going to ever really feel fulfilled or successful because we're hiding these sensitivities that we have, or maybe even exposing ourselves to additional trauma. Absolutely. And I think that's a really valid point, the last that you made, which it is traumatic to not be ourselves. It's traumatic to have to hide ourselves or try to be somebody else and tell ourselves who we are is too loud, too emotional, too sensitive, too whatever the word is that we're using. And I think that, you know, Our world is really, you know, we've had, we've only heard from certain narratives and certain ideologies historically, you know, the ones in power. And so it's taking time to break down some of these boxes and realize that all lived experiences are valid. You know, every moment that you've had is valid. And instead of dichotomizing our moments into praise and shame, you know, what we're praised for or what's shameful, we can start to reclaim that and say, hey, I'm right as I am. I start with my sensitivities first, you know. It's the difference between, you know, 300 years ago, if I wanted a shirt, I would have one custom made for me. Now, granted, I might only be able to afford two shirts in my life because I can't afford that many, but I wouldn't go, you know, buy mass produced things. Now we start with the shirt is right and my body's wrong. So if I can't fit that shirt, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too whatever. And that's been kind of replicated out across our entire world rather than saying, hey, wait a minute, I was born this way. I'm right. Who I am is right. These boxes were only made to hold people. And if that box doesn't hold me, who's a real valid person, then let me go somewhere else. Let me go find this. You know, you brought up masculinity, and I think it's so interesting that we never have to assert or defend what's already been claimed. I don't have to defend my masculinity or my femininity because if it's fully claimed, that's mine. But here's the kicker. You can't claim a brand of masculinity or femininity that isn't authentic to you. Because you'll always be trying. You'll always be trying to prove something. And so when you know who you are, you don't have to defend anything. You don't have to assert anything. There's this kind of cool confidence that starts to come up because it's kind of like, hey, I'm this. I'm not that. If you really want that, go. There are millions of people. Go find them. But I'm not going to change who I am anymore because I really like this person. So let me ask you, it's interesting you say this, what's the difference then between someone who uses that as true confidence and someone who uses it as a facade to hide who they are? They they may use their flamboyance or their masculinity mm-hmm. uh, to hide their insecurities of who they truly are because they don't want to truly be seen. So I would argue, A, that the the difference is fulfillment, and B, it's not really authentically them. If they have to overinflate one part of themselves to cover up other parts, then that overinflation is already kind of inherently a lie. And I've done this, right? Like I have, you know, in moments been like super weird and playful and zany to hide vulnerability. 
So not only are we being these sensitivities against everything else, but we're being them in proportion to one another. Like I want to be all six of my words at the exact same time. And there will be so many moments in my life where I will claim that's paradoxical. There's no way. How can I be zany and vulnerable in this moment? And guess what? That's my path in life. You want to talk about life purpose? That's my path. That paradox is one that only I can live and teach the world about. How do I be all these seemingly contradictory things at the exact same time? That's what every human is struggling with. And so learning how to do that, learning how we're at certain points, I'm going to overblow it, right? I'm going to be super zany to be defensive and protect from feeling vulnerable. But if I'm doing that and not checking in with myself, that's where I'm getting into trouble. Sure, like there are points as I integrate, I'm going to be over, you know, I used to, I'll tell you, I've written articles you know, about my personal life. I used to host dance parties every Friday that were super zany. Like it's really cool looking back over your history because you can see when you were trying to integrate certain parts of yourself and you can actually map that over time. Interesting. So when you're talking about being too big for the little boxes that people put us in. I'm thinking of Madonna in the human nature video, oh, breaking God. out of the box. Of course. I, I knew you were going to try to figure out. As soon as he mentioned singing and music as a sensitivity, I knew you were going to try to work Madonna, which is, Madonna. is interesting, right? I mean, it is interesting. Here's a woman who realistically does not have one of the best voices in the world. David, but has, we have to, the editor is going to edit this out. Has, but she has become one of the most successful women in music. The right? most. And I guess the same thing would go for lots of other people. You have people who, Spud Webb, right? Five, three, five, four, can't remember how tall he was. I mean, you know, played in the NBA with guys who were a foot and a half, two feet taller than him, but was just as well known and successful in his own right, right? So, it, sometimes your physical ability is minimized and your sensitivity is maximized. <laughs> right. I mean, we know what we offer, what we bring to the table is uniquely us and what the world wants from us. And then it's just, you know, it's kind of like Apple products, right? Apple's all about creating an experience, right? You know, you open the phone case and it takes forever to open because they want it to be an experience. You know, we're coming to this understanding that branding, whether we're talking about a dating profile or, you know, a business or just being ourselves, that that is about an experience we share with people. It's about what does it feel like to hang out with you? What does it feel like to work with you or be interviewed by you? Or what do you uniquely bring that no one else has? And when you know that, when you're very confident in the thing that you are in the world and that you've been cultivating over the course of your whole life and that explains your trauma and your bad moments, it creates a level of confidence. How can it not? Because there is nobody like you. And I know that seems like some cheesy Instagram post, but you actually begin to understand it because like, there's no way I would have been able to heal myself through, you know, my body dysmorphia without knowing my sensitivities. There's no way I would be in the relationship I'm in today or be confident sexually or, you know, be on this interview and talk about things and not be afraid what you'll ask me because I know who I am and what I bring to the table. And it just gives me something to anchor into. I love that. In reading some of your work, if I'm understanding correctly, it seems that this work on identifying your sensitivity to some degree is sort of a spiritual quest. There's a quote that you have from a Good Men Project article that you wrote when you said, if we know our purpose, then everything is spiritual. Business is spiritual. Relationships are spiritual. Exercise is spiritual. Watching TV is spiritual. Can you elaborate on that? Absolutely. I mean, I think 
all roads, you know, if you buy into this, right, all roads lead to spirituality. Ultimately, what we're seeking in our relationships or work are the core values of life, right? Meaning, purpose, why are we here? What are we doing? Why does this matter at all? You know, these are deeply spiritual questions. And you can absolutely go to an organized religion or your own form of spirituality or, you know, buy crystals, whatever you want to do to pursue that. But it's not limited to those things. You know, when I make a purchase, what I'm really doing is trying to buy an essence in the container. And I say this all the time about art, right? That's what art is. Art is taking paint and a canvas and elevating it by taking an essence, taking a raw emotion and encapsulating it in that piece of work. So now it's not just paint and a canvas. It's paint and a canvas that makes me feel something. And that's true of my relationship. It's not just two people hanging out. It's two people hanging out that are a container for some essence. Something's inside there. And so if I'm buying purchases that have no meaning for me, it's empty containers. And I'm just, it's kind of like eating empty calories. I'm just going to need more and more and more because I'm not actually getting what I want from it. But anything spiritual is feeling something deeply, right? It's understanding those core questions of who we are, why we're here, why this matters. And so if I know those already, I feel like it's almost cheating the system. I'm kind of like, oh, I know how to get out of this interview exactly what I want to feel and share. I know in my relationship what I need to feel. I know how I can spend money to feel that. I know in my business what's my unique thing and how I can do these sessions all day long and not feel burnt out or tired because I know what really nourishes me. And that to me is the most spiritual path, you know. I really am big on democratizing spirituality. Like it does not have to be for certain people who can do certain religious practices or afford certain things. Everything in life is spiritual. Everything in life is trying to get to some of these core values of who we are. And so if we understand who we uniquely are, then what can't be spiritual, right? Playing a game, you know, having sex, all these things are deeply spiritual because in that, in sex, I am transmuting my trauma. I'm stepping into vulnerability. I'm playing and doing role play and being zany. I'm aligning with who I am and aligning with my partner and maybe aligning with God or the universe, if you want to call it that. Like this starts every moment of my life can be deeply fulfilling and meaningful and successful. And to me, that's the best definition of spirituality that we've got. Yeah, it's it's interesting because you talked about the the whole idea of doing this, how your purchases can do this. When John and I were in the thick of it and making all of these unconscious purchases, Mm -hmm. we were trying to appease something that wasn't really in line with our true purpose, right? We were trying to show the gay community in Denver that we were fabulous, that we were th- mm-hmm. have being friends with. And, and we were doing all of these things that really didn't speak to who we truly were. And it was when we sat down, and we do this exercise with individuals we work with as well, when we sat down and said, what is it that really motivates us in life? What did we really want out of life? And when we started thinking about it, we wanted to spend more time together. Part of that meant having enough money for a long-term, comfortable retirement. We wanted to travel because we both love to explore. And we wanted mm-hmm. to do that together and not have to have a, a credit card hangover when we came back from traveling. And we wanted to give back to the LGBT community. And yeah. as soon as we started focusing on those things... It no longer matters to us that we don't have the $300 jeans or Mm -hmm. that we don't live in the 4,500 square foot modern home in the nicest neighborhood in town or that we don't drive the $65,000 car that everyone will talk about. Granted, we enjoy nice things, but 
The sure. other things are more important to us because we're clearly tapping into our sensitivities. Absolutely. And the reason we enjoy nice things is because they make us feel something in particular. So understanding even that, like, yeah, I love going out to nice restaurants. I love food. But because I love seeing a chef who's aligning with their passions and being successful. I absolutely love that. I'm not just buying food. I'm buying passion. I'm buying inspiration. I'm buying connection. When I understand those things, it becomes really easy to make these purchases and also to realize, okay, maybe this month I can't afford to do that. How else can I get that thing? And that's why I love that practice I have where any point I want to buy something new, I will say to myself, okay, Mike, which of these six words are you trying to feel and give you three days to try to feel that in a cheaper way? And if you can't, which there are times, I mean, obviously I buy things, then I purchase it. But 90% of the time I realize, oh, I was just wanting to feel, you know, really successful here. And there's a lot of ways I can start journaling every day about my successes. After those three days, I no longer want to purchase it. And that's okay too. I wish we would have had a picture of our closet from, you know, 15 years ago and the clothing that we had in there compared to what we have now. I mean, yeah. it's just completely a stark contrast from, <laughs> mm-hmm. because we were filled with designer clothing, clothing, all sorts of stuff we couldn't afford to now we're, it's basically jeans and t-shirts. We've got a couple of nice yeah. pants and, and, and shirts, but they might not even fit right now because of COVID. <laughs> <laughs> we blame it on COVID, but it really is. <laughs> but it's just, to your point, we're, we're, we're spending our money on what matters most to us. And it, right. what, what really doesn't matter to us is, is the expensive clothing. And that's why we can live more basic. The value from that is that we no longer have that financial stress. Right. We would, we would bu- continue to buy all that clothing to prove our worth, um, mm-hmm. to be validated, but then there was always a cost to that beyond yeah. just whatever we paid at the credit card counter. And speaking as a person who's done that, it's also still conditional. So now my worth is still because I have these clothing. And what if it goes away? What if I grow out of it? What right. if I, whatever, I don't actually get to keep that worth. And we see this all the time in relationships, right? If a relationship breaks up or someone gets divorced or in jobs, people put their worth in a job or a title and, you know, they retire, they get laid off, they get fired, they quit. And now all of a sudden we're questioning purpose again. And those are the two main places we put our purpose in relationships and in jobs because our society has validated those things. And now all of a sudden we're like, well, wait a minute. I don't know my purpose. I feel lost and confused. I can't tell you how many retired people I work with who feel like I used to have a purpose and now I don't. It's like, no, no, no. You still have a purpose. It's the same sensitivities. You just don't have the only container you knew how to get that purpose. Mm -hmm. So rather than becoming codependent with one container, let's figure out what it's giving you. So that way you can always give yourself that. You can always be validated and feel worthy according to that thing. Yeah, we do as a society put so much weight and value on our jobs. Yeah. And it's almost like from the minute you start going to school, the whole idea is we want to get you the best job in the world for yourself because that's Mm -hmm. the most important thing. And then, you know, you're in your 30s or 40s and you're realizing, you know what, this really isn't cutting it. I'm not really enjoying this as much as everybody led me to believe. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I, and I was lucky because I, you know, was, was very successful early in life. I had a life threatening illness and it shook things up early. And I had to figure out, wait a minute, do I want to die doing something that is slowly killing me and that I don't necessarily love? And, you know, uh, you don't get into life purpose work feeling like you've known your purpose for a long time. So I feel like I went all around the map. I know we don't have time for it today, but all off the deep end, getting to this moment to realizing, oh my gosh, every moment of my life makes sense. And there's just a thread. We've all got 
endless data right now. We just have to map it. Mm-hmm. And mapping it isn't complicated. You don't have to be self-aware. There are really simple ways to do so. Gotcha. To what extent do spiritual practices help you figure this out? For me personally or for a person? For a person in general. I like to think that my work is very adaptable for many different lineages and practices. Um, we have people who are atheists. We have people who are, you know, very deep into many different lineages. It kind of doesn't matter. You know, I personally don't think spirituality is that different than everyday life, even though we try to make it seem like it is, because everything we do is spiritual. So, you know, if you absolutely feel called to pray every day or meditate, or you call it journaling, or you call it just thinking by yourself, I don't really care. Like, whatever is going to help you feel aligned. But that's the point is that purpose is subjective. So purpose work has to be subjective. So if I'm going to feel aligned, I know the practices that make me feel aligned, which may include meditation and journaling. And that might be different from someone else. Some people get really aligned when they are driving their car. And that can be a deeply spiritual practice for them. And that's great. I'm not here to tell anybody how they need to you know, engage in their practices. What I can tell you is that if you engage in spiritual practices already, or quote unquote spiritual practices, what they're giving you or making you feel is directly related to your sensitivities. And there also may be practices that you don't consider spiritual that are basically the same thing, right? I mean, I don't know. Is running spiritual? Is it not? Is having sex spiritual? Is it not? Is watching TV spiritual? I don't know. If you're doing it consciously and you're doing it to get the, you know, become more of who you are and grow into yourself, I'd call any of that spiritual. Do you mind sharing what your spiritual practices are? Oh, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got an intense morning routine. Oof, this is a story. But I get up <laughs> at 5.30 every day. Um, there's a long story of why it's this intense. But I get up at 5.30. I go to the bathroom, set my intentions for the day. Then I exercise. I do about an hour of floor exercises. I tidy up the house and make my bed. And then I journal for 30 minutes. I meditate for 20 minutes. I dance naked in front of the mirror, we already know, and shower, (laughs) and then I make my breakfast. And so it takes me about three and a half hours. And that's to set myself for the day and set my intentions and kind of clear out anything from yesterday and open up to uh, new intentions and new miracles today. Nice. I think a lot of us have danced naked in front of the mirror. I actually... I I love it. Keep doing it. (laughs) I was actually doing it before this podcast. (laughs) I love it. I feel so honored. (laughs) Thank you. Sometimes David dances naked for me. <laughs> well, and even better. <laughs> I love it. Um, so you have a program that you help walk people through to identify and map their sensitivities. Can you explain that, please? Sure, absolutely. So I've been doing this work now for, what, seven, eight years on one-on-one. We also do, you know, we've had for the last, I don't know, five of those years, an e-course where people can actually go through it for, you know, a fraction of the investment. And if anybody listening today actually just is like, oh, I'm kind of interested in this, I know we didn't have time for a demo, but you can just go to mikeimle.com slash map, M-A-P, and there's a 36-minute free training with a worksheet, and you can just get a sense of what it means to map your sensitivities. You can get a sense of what they are, and then through that, of course, you can find out more about either working one-on-one, which I'll admit I don't do often anymore, or going through the e-course and actually definitively finding them. We'll awesome. link to that in the show notes, folks. If you're if you're interested, just go in your podcasting app and click on the link to the show notes and you can uh, get that link from Mike. Well, Mike, this has been super informative and it kind of gone a direction I wasn't necessarily prepared for, but I definitely (laughs) love it. All can our listeners uh, follow and find you? 
Sure. So again, mikeimle.com slash map is probably the best way if you actually want to like learn more about the work. I'm on Instagram. I'm not a social media person, but like dig me out of my hole so you can come in there and try to get me out and I'll come <laughs> hang out with you. So if you want to find me on Instagram, it's just mikeimle. Nice. I awesome. love it. Thank you so much for joining us. So we appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. And Madonna, if you're listening, we apologize for everything that David said today. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. Queer Money is being brought to you in part by the five building blocks of a happy gay life. Join the growing community of happy, healthy, and wealthy gay men who love their lives inside and out. Get your free copy of the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy. Thank you, Mike, for sharing your unique practice for helping individuals identify their purpose. This is critically important work from which everyone can benefit. To you, our listeners, thank you for listening to another episode of Queer Money. Here's your Queer Money takeaway for this episode. Although we want these podcasts to be entertaining, our real purpose is to help you see a path to possibilities, opportunities, and improvement. With that in mind, we challenge you to start doing the inner work to identify your purpose, what truly fuels your soul, to start living a happier life today. Get your free guide to the five building blocks of a happy gay life at debtfreeguys.com forward slash happy and go to mikeimle.com to sign up for Mike's free 36-minute Map Your Sensitivities to Discover Your Purpose webinar. Come back next week when we talk with a queer woman of color who's going to share with us how you can make hundreds of dollars a week with only a couple of hours of your time and a small investment. Remember, if you have money questions or suggestions for show topics, ask in the Queer Money Facebook group, and we'll follow up with answers or a show to cover your question. Thanks again, and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo, or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk, and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.